I believe this meeting is a very significant meeting. And um, God is going to do amazing things in this place today that we will not see the fullness of with our natural eyes. Because in the spirit realm, angels of God have been dispatched for this meeting. And I believe when we're going to start to declare uh, things in the airwaves and begin to pray for the nation and pray for issues, things are going to begin to break in the spirit. But really, before we move forward into any kind of prayer for the nation and praying for things and all that, God wants us to get our hearts right first with him. We're not going to have authority out there if God does not have dominion in here. The effectiveness of our prayers in this place today is connected to how much God reigns in us when we pray that prayer. How much of God is in us? How connected are we to the heart of God? And he says in 2 Corinthians 7, 14, we all know the scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their own wicked ways. There's a lot of wickedness in the world, but there's also wickedness in the church. And turn from their own wicked ways. And you know, before we move forward, generally we like to use this time as a time to get our hearts right with God. And I believe the Lord has given me a short word. I'm going to try to present it as uh, quickly as I can. And we're going to sing. We're going to pray. We're going to declare some things over ourselves. The following sessions coming up, we're going to be praying into specific things. But if you, if you can, I'd like you to just take your seat. Just find the space around you. Um, I want to start by looking at a passage today in Matthew 17, 14. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, feel free to turn there. It's a fairly well-known story, so you might have uh, read this before. I'm just going to read through it uh, quickly. He says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For often he falls into fire and into water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not kill him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I bear with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of him, and the child was killed from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you, and nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21 says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Um, very significant scripture, and uh, I really feel the Lord is wanting to communicate a few things to us today uh, from this passage. And uh, it's interesting to know that before this incident, Jesus has just been to the Mount of Transfiguration where um, he was transfigured and he looked different, you know, he was glowing with the glory of God. And three of the disciples were there, Peter, James, and John. And he says, Elijah and Moses also appeared. Jesus had just come from the Mount of Transfiguration. 
and he came to the multitude. And it's worth noting when you read the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, the, 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 the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the synoptic Gospels because they have a kind of chrono- chronological way of reporting. And John's Gospel is totally different. Now, it's, wor- it's worth noting if three of the Gospel writers uh, say the same story and in the same order, there's something significant about that. Because all the, all the three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, bo- all of them have the same story in their account of the gospel, and they have it in the same order. So Jesus comes from the Mount of Transfiguration, and then he, he comes to meet the multitude. And this is exactly what happens, okay? And um, the first thing we're encountered with is the fact that it says uh, the boy is epileptic. So... Um, it says in verse 15, the Lord, uh, sorry, the, the boy's father said to uh, Jesus, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for often falls into fire and water. Okay, so he's an epileptic and he often falls into fire and water. So the, the actual word, epileptic. In some translations, it says is a lunatic, and sometimes falls into uh, uh, water and fire. The actual Greek word, the real translation in English is meant to be, is actually moonstruck. So he's moonstruck and often falls into fire and water. Well, what does moonstruck mean? Moonstruck means he, he has a distemper in his mind. And Something in his mind tells him whenever he gets around water, he should jump in. And whenever he gets around fire, he should jump in. So really, he's epileptic. That's what he says. But he's demonically influenced. And his problem is in his mind. And the problem in his mind is he gets around something that has the potential to kill him. And something in his mind tells him it's okay to jump into it. So really, this boy is dealing with something in the mind. That's not to say that there's no demonic influence. But the demonic influence is going on in his mind. And you find out that throughout the Gospels, Jesus spent a lot of time delivering people from oppression of the enemy. Because the devil out there, he's real. And whether you see him or not, he has an influence on the things that happen around us. So does the realm of the angelic, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, has an influence on the realm around us. You know, our minds are open to receive thoughts from different sources. You can receive thoughts from God. You can receive thoughts from demonic sources. And you, can, you can have your own thoughts. Many times, you have negative thoughts that are not from you, but you accept them as your thoughts. And the enemy gains authority over you because you've accepted his thoughts as yours. And they're not yours. And you did not discern it. The enemy has authority when we give, when we agree with him. When we come into agreement with the enemy, we give him authority over our lives. Because the reality is, Satan has no authority in the life of the believer unless the authority the believer has given to, to him. And when we come into agreement with lies and deception of the enemy, we step into a place where we give him authority. So this boy has a problem, a distemper in his mind. What's also interesting is that Jesus comes down from the mountain and he comes down to a multitude. 
when the Bible says a multitude, it means thousands. And generally, it's just talking about men. So let's just assume two, three thousand people, a multitude, mainly men. And out of about two, three thousand people, only one man could call out his name. Out of a multitude of people, one man calls out, Lord, have mercy on my son. One man said, I am not content to exist with the company of the multitude and never pay the price to approach the master. When we started this meeting, Alan came up and shared the word about coming to a meeting like this and just observing, just observing what's going on and, you know, oh yeah, you know, some people go crazy, that's good for them, you know. But not actually deciding in your heart that you're going to go deep in God. No one is going to force God on you. God is not going to force himself on you. God is requiring for you to make a decision in your heart to want him, and then he, you open the door for him to come in. God is calling us to be a people who are not afraid to stand out from the crowd. This man was not afraid to stand out from the crowd, to cry out to Jesus to come and save him. Other people were okay to hide their issue and their distance, but he was able to run to Jesus with his issue. And Jesus is saying, this place that we sang it, your blood is enough to break every chain. It's not enough to just sit back and say, okay, well, that sounds good. No, I'm going to run to Jesus with my issue. I'm going to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the one that sets me free. Whether I look crazy or not, I don't care. I'm going to stand out like this man in the crowd. And God is calling us in our generation to be a people who will not just follow the crowd. There's too much following of the crowd going on in our culture. God is calling us to stand against the tide. I always like to use the illustration, and it's true that just by the way things are, we in this room are against the tide. The church, by nature, the way God has called us and formed us to be in this world is we are against the tide of society. We are called to be the thermostats, not the thermometers. We're not called to conform to the temperature. We're called to change the temperature. And to change the temperature, we have to stand out from the crowd. If you're trying to swim and you're swimming against the tide and the force you're exerting against the tide, actually, if you're trying to swim against the tide and you do nothing to start with, what happens? You get swept away. Many of us in the church today are very easy, are very okay to coast along with the tide, to coast along what's going on and not ready to exert a force. And what happens is if you exert a force against the tide, and the force you're exerting against the tide is equal to the force that's coming against you. What happens? You remain in the same position. To make any progress, significant progress, you have to exert force against the tide that's greater than the force that's coming against you. And what that means is we have to be able to stand up in a crowd and say, no, I'm not going to conform to the system. I'm not going to be listening to that kind of music. I'm not going to be watching those kind of programs. I'm not going to be hanging out with those kind of people because they're influencing my mind in the wrong way. I'm going to stand out and be different. If we're going to have an impact in our generation, we have to be a people that are not ashamed of the gospel. We have to be a people that are ready to stand for what we believe in. And this is the place it starts right here. God is calling us to be a generation that will stand out from the crowd. There's always the, 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 the peer pressure we talk about, the peer pressure. Why is it that peer pressure is always about going into negative things? Why can we not find people that will stir us with a positive peer pressure into the things of the Spirit? 
if you're hanging around people that are just influencing your mind in a negative way, you don't need to be around them. You know, many people say, oh, yeah, you know, I want to reach them for Jesus. Yes, you want to reach them for Jesus when you're strong enough to not be influenced by them, but be the one doing the influencing in that company. You cannot be trying to reach someone for Jesus when they're dragging you down into sin. Save your soul. Run away and find people that will encourage you. And when you're strong, go and reach them. Not in your weakness, them dragging you into sin and dragging you down. You know, it's like you're trying to help someone that's down and they pull you down. You need to be able to take your stand. A boat will continue to remain on water as long as the water does not get into the boat, right? The boat is called to remain on water. But many times we allow the world to get into us and think we can have that impact. The church cannot have the impact it's called to have if it continues to become like the world. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be different. And this is where prayer starts. This is where prayer with authority, this is where it starts. It starts with us setting ourselves apart. This man was not ashamed to run to Jesus. The first thing he says when he saw Jesus was, Lord. Before he even mentions what the problem is, he says, Lord. And many people today are okay to call God Savior, but don't really understand what his lordship means. Because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. What it means for him to be Lord, the term lordship actually, it's not a divine term. It's not a term of divinity. The, the, the term lordship means you've subjugated yourself to someone else's authority. It means you brought yourself under someone else's authority. And every problem we have with sin generally is because we're not ready to have God truly be the Lord of our lives. Where he's Lord over temptations. Where he's Lord over distractions. Where he's Lord over everything. If God is truly Lord, then he would have his way. We pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? In heaven, there is no resistance to the will of God. Do you realize that? In heaven, the angels speak the word. Of, when God speaks, the angels are ready to release that word and go and do what God is saying they should do. And he says, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So if there's no resistance to the will of God in heaven, in reality, there should not be a resistance to the will of God in my heart. If I'm asking the Lord's kingdom to come out there, he has to first come in here. I'm not going to be asking God to reign out there if he's not reigning in here first. Many times we can come like this to a meeting and we're like, oh, yeah, God, you know, have your way. And we can almost compartmentalize our lives and give God certain aspects of our lives and not surrender certain other aspects of our lives. Almost like, God, you know, you know don't touch that area. And some people just settle into just a religious thing of just going to church and just going through motions. I do not want to go through motions. I want to be one that's burning with a holy fire for God in my generation. And I want God to be Lord of my life. So the question is, is Jesus your Lord for real? Is he really your Lord? Or is it just, do you just know him as Savior? Because there are two different experiences. You can know Jesus as Savior and not know him as Lord. But you can't know him as Lord and not know him as Savior. And God is calling us to a place of total surrender to him. Because if the Lord will find a people without mixture, he will pour out his spirit without measure. There's so much of the mixture of self and the spirit, or the, you know, the, uh, the, the spirit and the world. If we have got the Holy Spirit, we've got the Holy Spirit for a reason, to be holy. The Holy Spirit is coming on us so that we, as his people, can live holy, pleasing to him. Am I making any sense here? God is calling us to be a holy generation. 
He wants to be the Lord of every aspect of our lives. This man has a revelation of this. He doesn't just, he doesn't just come to Jesus and ask for things. And, you know, there's, I think, you know, depending on what kind of circumstance or what kind of uh, uh, circles you're connected with, many times you find that a lot of people just come to church just to ask God for things. And they come to church just to see what God can do for them. And they come to seek God to bless them and God to do this and God to do this, God to do this. But you do not realize that just as you're seeking for God to do things, God wants you to also do things for him. And we make demands on God. We try to make God to make our priority his priority when we're not making his priority our priority. God, take care of me. God, do this for me. God, do this for me. And God is like, you don't even understand what this is about. This, you know... I've done everything on the cross. I, the ultimate display of love is the cross. And I made the way for you to approach me. And all you want is just to receive from me and just to take it. God is not a vending machine. You know, God, I want, God, I want, God, I want, God, I want. Just this, just God. Now, that's not to say we should not ask God for things. But sometimes people just allow the blessings of God to become the things that draw them to God. And when, when the blessing finally arrives, that becomes the very things that draws them away from God. Because in the first place, they've not been rooted in the reality of God being the Lord and intimacy with him. And it's all about what they can get. Try to see how your relationship with your friends or your family or someone close to you will go if the only time you went to them was when you were in need. I want, I want, I want. God is calling us to something more than that. This walk with God is not just about us receiving. It's about us giving ourselves to him. If you look at the lives of the disciples, their lives of people who, the examples of people who laid down their lives for this gospel. And we're not called to anything less than that. We're not called to anything than total surrender. I mean, total surrender to him. Now, the father came to Jesus, but the son was the one with the problem. The son did not even have to come to Jesus. The father came and got in the presence of Jesus. And the secondary consequence of him getting in the presence of Jesus was the deliverance of his son. That tells me that us in this place, as we pray, the people out there don't need to know we're praying for them. The nation and the government does not need to know we're gathering. That's a picture of intercession. That we come into the presence of Jesus. And as we cry out to Jesus, a generation can be set free. Does anybody believe that here today? I believe God is raising up a movement of prayer in this nation. Not just prayer storm, but he's raising up a movement of prayer in the nation that will cry out to him and will pay the price to get into his presence. And in that place, receive the keys for deliverance for a generation. God has call, called us to break the chains of a generation. But we cannot break the chains off of people if we ourselves are bound. That's why we need to get thoroughly saved. R.A. Torrey says, the recipe for revival is first, get a group of people who will get thoroughly right with God. First point. Second point, make them be a people who will commit themselves to pray for revival until something breaks loose. And third point, let them make up their minds that they will be at the disposal of God's use for whatever he wants to do with them. First point, thoroughly get right with God. That's what God is calling us to do in this place. And in this place, we can release deliverance to the nation. I believe in the spirit, like things are gathering, things are gathered here. Like if you think of like missiles ready to be launched into the camp of the enemy. And the Lord is doing things right now, but he's preparing our hearts to begin to release those decrees. And I tell you what, things are going to begin to break in the spirit today. It starts with us. 
our hearts breaking. I always like to say, we find prayer hard many times because our hearts are hard. And God wants to break our hearts that we can feel what he feels and then get into a place of unity with him and then begin to speak his word and then authority is released. This father is a picture of intercession. He presses through the crowd, comes to Jesus, and uh, he cries out to Jesus for his son. Now, what I want to focus on really is the, is, is the issue that he came to Jesus for. He says, obviously, I said this earlier, his son is demon-possessed, but the demon does not tell him to jump off the mountain. The son is demon-possessed, but the demon doesn't tell him to jump off a mountain or do something as radical as that. The demon pushes him to do things that don't even seem bad. Fire is not bad. Water is not bad. But somehow, the demon pushes him to these forms of compromise that seem almost insignificant. And if the Lord tells us not to be ignorant of the devil's devices, and this young man had a problem in his mind that could not stop him from getting away from compromise, and I want to suggest to you that your problem with ongoing compromise in your life is the idea of hell. Are you with me? That hell is suggesting to us to live a lifestyle of compromise because in that place of living a lifestyle of compromise, we cannot fulfill the fullness of what God has for us. We cannot have an impact on this world. And this guy, his problem was in his thinking. And you know, many times we talk about repentance. And repentance, we say, you know, repentance is, you know, is changing direction. I don't know if you heard that. I've heard it many times. That is true. Repentance is changing direction. But fundamentally, repentance is about changing the way you think. Because if you change direction and you don't change the way you think, you're going to end up back in that same direction you were just walking away from. Something needs to be switched in our mind. That's why it says in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When our minds get renewed, our desires and our affections get changed. You know, if you know, I know what it is to be bound with affections and desires that are not godly. I know what it is to have my heart just fixed on things I know that the Lord is saying, James, no, that's not for you. And it's just binding my heart. But I know when it is when the Lord comes upon my heart and renews my mind. And it's not that the, the, the same that used to be so attractive, my, my internal desires have changed. And my, because my desires, my mind is, think, is thinking totally different, the exact same situation, I'm reacting differently. Because God, when, he do, when, he, when God does a real deep work in you, he puts you back in the same situation to show you how much you've changed. Because you would have been reacting a certain way a while back, and now it's like, actually, Something has really shifted in me. You know, it doesn't really, you know, I'm dead to the world and the world is dead to me. It's like there's no, there's no, God has done a deep work in you. And that is what God is calling us to as this generation right now. It's calling us to this lifestyle of being dead to the world and allowing our mind to be renewed. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, I'm okay. And this is where I want to kind of drive things down. You know, you're thinking, yeah, I'm okay. You know, it's not like I'm killing anyone. You know, it's just water, it's just fire, you know. It's just late night TV, you know, it, it, there's no porn, you know, it, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not real porn, you know, it's, it's just messing around, I'm just watching. Oh, you know, me and my boyfriend, my girlfriend, you know, our hands are just wandering and we're just going too far, but, you know, we're not going to go too far, we're not going to have sex, it's okay, it's just water, it's just fire. 
You know, oh, I'm just listening to the beat. I'm just listening to the beat. You know, even though they're cursing and, and talking about sex and drugs, oh, I'm just listening. You know, it, you know it's just water. It's, it's okay. You know, it's not a problem. It's fine. And we're playing with fire and we're playing with compromise. And every time we allow our hearts to engage in those activities, we're dulling our hearts from responding to God in fullness like God wants us to. And we play around with water and fire. Now, what I find quite interesting is, Paul says, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Oh, no, he didn't say to burn with lust. No, he didn't say that. Sorry. He says, it's better to marry than to burn. Something like that. He used the word burn. So Paul connects fire to sexual desire. So this boy's problem is, he's representing our generation. And his problem was sexual desire that was driving him into dangerous situations that could end up destroying his destiny. Not that the sexual desire was wrong or is wrong, but it's a misuse of it that's going to destroy him because God created it in the first place. And I tell you what, you don't need much discernment to look around and see how much our society is infiltrated with lust and with sex and all kinds of evil everywhere. It's everywhere. If you were alive 30 years ago and you came and God gave you a whatever, you came and you, if you're alive 30 years ago and you were around in that society and you come into today's society to see what we're exposed to and what we accept as normal, it's shocking the things that we actually take on, even on TV, and just are desensitized to it. Because it's so infiltrated the system, and I'm telling you what, it's not going to stop. The enemy is going to continue to increase this darkness upon our generation. But we as the people of God cannot afford just to swim with the culture. God has called us to go against the tide of the culture and the system and the sexual perversion that's in our generation. He's called us not to fall into the fire, but to stand against that kind of false fire. Are you with me here today? We cannot afford to carry on and allow sexual perversion to overtake us in the church. God has called us to holiness. And God has called us to live this lifestyle. You know, the cross, the blood, we sang about the blood. The blood is for sins. The cross is for the sinner. The blood cleanses us. The cross kills us. Because Jesus did not just die on the cross to wash away our sins. And that's true. Jesus died on the cross to show us how to also die on the cross. That's why Paul said, I crucify the flesh daily. That's why we're called to die to self. Because I tell you what, if you're not consciously going against it, you'll be subconsciously influenced by it. It's all over the system. And God is calling us to be a generation that recognizes what's going on around us and not just swim along with the system. This boy had two problems. It was fire and water. Well, water is a picture of just something ordinary. Water, Water is a picture of something normal. Water is a picture of just normal. Just going through the motions, normal. Many people in our generation are okay with normal Christianity. Just go to church. Maybe not even go to church. You know, maybe not, you know, just claim to be a Christian. Many people out there will tell you today, if you say, are you Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm British. I don't know if people still say that today, (laughs) right? But have no experience of who God really is or who Jesus is. God is calling us to 
an extreme form of expression of passion for him. You know why? Because everything he's requiring of us is exactly what he's giving to us. He's not requiring from us something he has not displayed in himself towards us. If he gave himself in abandonment towards us, he's requiring that we will give ourselves in abandonment towards him. That's why it says, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything in you. You can't fulfill the fullness of that commandment and have time for other lovers. You can't be intense at ten things at the same time. Fulfilling that commandment brings your life to a narrow focus. It's God and it's God alone. Isn't it funny that it's normal to watch six hours of TV for some people. But if you tell them, oh, I prayed for six hours, it's like, you're a bit weird. Why are the abnormal things become normal and the things that should be normal have become abnormal to us? Why is it so normal to spend three, two, four hours on Facebook and abnormal to spend two, three, four hours in prayer and seeking God and reading your Bible? I'm calling us in this place to make up our minds that we will not be a normal generation. John the Baptist was not normal. To be able to shift the culture, God calls the people with a radical devotion to him. Because to be able to shift a nation out of complacency, it takes people who are radically devoted to him. We can't do it just by just casually coasting along. The spirit of Elijah that rested upon John the Baptist was a spirit of holy violence. And holy violence tells, speaks of not settling for anything less than God's best in the area of intimacy with him. God is calling us to a deep walk with him that's not going to look like what everyone else is doing. I don't care if everyone else is on youth group. I just goofing around and just playing. and just, just, I want you to decide, Lord, I'm going to be focused. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to waste my life on this earth. I'm not going to live a normal Christianity. So this boy's problem, this generation's problem was sexual impurity and no more Christianity. And God is calling us to be delivered from all that compromise. Because believe you or not, it is compromise in the eyes of God. And God is calling us to a place of radical devotion because that's what's going to release the very things we're praying for right now. God is calling us to break away from, from compromise. The grace of God is not God lowering the standard because of the culture. The grace of God is God empowering us through the cross to meet the standard. Because under the grace of God, the standard is very high. The standard is higher on the grace than it is under the law. On the grace, if you think it, you've done it. Under the law, it's until you've done it, you've done it. On the grace, if you think it, you've done it. But the fact that the standard is high does not mean we're, we're excluded from meeting the standard through the cross. Remember what I said? The cross kills us. Through the process of denying ourselves and learning to live fully for God, we receive the grace to meet the standard. The word grace actually speaks more of the empowerment of God on our spirits and our hearts to do His will than mercy in terms of pardon. The word grace speaks of God giving us the empowerment to do his will. If God is asking us to live holy, it's because we can do it in his grace. Knowing our strength, as we really learn to surrender to him, he gives us the power to live holy. And I'm not standing here saying I've got it sorted out, but I'm standing here saying I am reaching for the mark of the high calling. I will not lower the standard. I will not lower the standard because of my culture or because of the people around me or because of myself. I will not lower the standard. The standard is high and I'm going to keep seeking for the grace to meet that standard. And God is calling a generation to rise who will not settle for less. 
We're not settling for just compromise and just going through the same cycles. No, 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 no. God is calling us to break free and live in freedom that we will set a generation free. Are you with me? This is a time to break away compromise. I'm going to round up now. What's amazing is that this story comes right after Jesus was just talking to his disciples about John the Baptist. Matthew 17, 11. Jesus is on the mountain of transfiguration. Elijah and Moses appears, and they come out of the mountain, come out of the experience, and the disciples are saying to Jesus, I thought Elijah was meant to appear first. And Jesus says to them, yes, Elijah has already come, and Elijah is also coming, if you can perceive it. And then he goes on to say, that they understood that he spoke of John the Baptist. I believe the solution, one of the main solutions we need in our generation is the spirit of Elijah. In Malachi, it says, The spirit of Elijah will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the heart of the sons to the fathers. That is what's going on in this story. This guy's father had a heart for, a, for his son, the next generation. And you know, those of you that are parents in this place, you know, it, it, I, I cannot imagine being in your house and some random stranger walking into your house and trying to take your child from you. I mean, Helen, I don't know how you'd react to that. I don't care how calm a person you are, how quiet you are. You're not going to watch that happening and just sit in calmness. It's not going to happen. There's going to be a holy roar, like how dare you? And I, I, I suppose you won't mind hurting the person because they're trying to take away your baby, your child. Well, you know what's happening? Satan is trying to take away a generation. And many of us are watching TV saying, oh, it's okay if they pass those laws in parliament. It's okay, you know, it's not my business. If those laws are passed, do you know what that means for a generation? It means the definition of marriage is changed. By a governmental system that has no authority to do that anyway. And that means in our schools, they're going to start to teach that marriage is okay between a man and man and woman and woman. And the next generation, your kids, are going to go into schools hearing that message. And the whole generation has been, has been strangled with darkness. And we sit back and say, it's okay. This is the time for us to rise up with the spirit of Elijah. And say, no, we're not going to see a generation lost. We're going to fight for the generation that's coming. Is anybody with me here today? The spirit of Elijah is what the Lord is releasing upon our generation at this time. The same spirit that rested upon John the Baptist. This is the time to rise up. Funny enough as well, on the same Mount of Transfiguration, it was Elijah and Moses that appeared. And Elijah... It's a picture of a man of fire. He calls down fire from heaven. Moses, the picture of a man who God used a lot in the area of miraculous water provisions. They came out of Egypt. They walked through the Red Sea, a form of deliverance. It, was, it stretched his rod and the sea parted and they walked through death, burial, resurrection, baptism. They come out the other side delivered. He, he used his rod to strike the rock and water came out of the rock provision. So they had an experience on the mountain of what true fire and what true water is meant to be used for. And they come down the mountain and see a perversion of fire and water. I want to announce to you today, you're called to call down fire from heaven. God has called us in this generation to release the fire from heaven like Elijah did. 
Not to be falling into the false fires of this world with compromise. And God has called us to be a generation like Moses that was stretched from the rod of deliverance and deliver a generation from their afflictions and release the rain of heaven. That's a true picture of what water is meant to be used for. It's not just something that we meant. You see, water is okay as long as it doesn't get over you. God is calling us to be over it. This is the moment. This is the hour. I believe the message the Lord has given us today is to break away from compromise. Any inward toleration of Jezebel. When I say Jezebel, I mean sexual perversion and the spirit of this age. Any inward toleration of compromise. Any inward toleration of just being normal. It's time to break it away. Can the band come up and can we stand? Can you stand with me? God wants to break away the compromise. You know, right here, God is calling you to make up your mind to not agree with compromise. To say, no, I'm going to fight that compromise. I'm not going to let it take any root in my heart. Right now, I'm ready to uproot the seed of compromise. God is calling us to be a generation that's fully focused on him. I want you to close your eyes and focus on Jesus right now. Maybe there are areas of compromise in your life you've accepted as normal. God is calling you right now to divorce every other lover, every other thing that's drawing your attention. If you can, I want you to just pray in the Spirit. If you can, 